In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and the darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Then God saw the light, and it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And then God said, Let the universe come forth. <laughs> the universe! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> This is Control Structure Episode 16, Slower Than YouTube on Fios, for March 5th, 2013, with your hosts, Andrew Bailey and Christopher Thompson. And now, it's so pretty! I'm pretty sure that was the uh, first apocalypse. Yeah, that probably was the first apocalypse. Hi, I'm Andrew. And I'm Chris. So, uh, big week? Very big week. So I, uh, heard something about your former roomie. Oh, yeah. He's been let go by the company because he's been on a three-month honeymoon with his wife because he can't get back into the U.S. So that's been going pretty well. I don't, I'm not sure if they have told him yet or not. Well, it's been going pretty well for you because you have his job now. Yeah, but I did not exactly want his job to begin with. But, oh well. It's a job. So... You can't complain much. So, turns out that uh, Squirrel really loves uh, stories about foreigners from not real places. So I'm pretty sure you're loaded with those. Yes, I am. <laughs> so. Create a desktop icon. <sighs> so how about you? Good week? Bad week? Uh, it was a pretty pretty decent uh, week. So, uh, Saturday, I had nothing to do. And by the way, my mom did not come over. Um, apparently, she had, the week before, was up on a stool, and she somehow fell off of it and onto the dryer. And... And? So, I'm walking home, walking back to work from Subway when she's telling me this on the phone. I'm like, are you okay? Are you in the emergency room? And she said, oh no, I did this last week. <laughs> so, either, <laughs> either I wasn't listening when she told me, or she didn't tell me. Hmm, interesting. Probably so, the first. Um, so, uh, she didn't feel like coming over and sleeping on an air mattress so soon. Huh, interesting. Yeah. Um, and oh. then uh, I played some Civ Five. 
and uh, sent Montezuma into space. Nice. So, and uh, uh, let's see. I'm. That seems a very interesting game. And uh, you remember uh, my friend Brady? Yep. Um, about two hours into Civ Five, I was like, "Okay, yeah, this is totally a Brady game." <laughs> so, um, let's see. I know there was something else I did over the weekend too, but can't really recall what it was. Oh well, maybe it'll come to me. It'll come. It always comes. So, yeah, I sort of lost that, like you might lose the world's smallest cell phone. So, uh, Oh, okay. The, uh, the Verge here uh, has found the world's smallest and lightest phone uh, from a Japanese carrier it just debuted. Mm-hmm. I think, I think I'll go for the pink one. It's so pretty! Yeah, well, if you consider that it is the Japanese culture, pink is somewhat more acceptable over there for men. And, so. and remember, this is the same culture that a guy married a video game character. This is the same culture where, if it is conceivable, it exists in Japan. Yes. And if it exists, well... You know that one rule, but we're not going to go there because this is not the innuendo show. <laughs> this is yeah. this is the Bailey show. This is the programming show. I'm not sure Correct. if this show has a nickname yet. We don't have a nickname? I don't think we do. Huh. Wonder why not. Uh, well, if you consider the universe as just the universe... <laughs> Well, the universe is a joke. Um, yep. <laughs> that that uh, rarely happens um, uh, compared to the other science show, which hasn't started yet. And you know what? I'm going to email that one guy. Oh, good. Cannot start because I'm... Huh. No, don't you just love downloading free software and it not working because you didn't download the other half of the free software? Mm, I'm not sure what you're talking about. Well, I I guess in the abstract, if you're talking about like Linux packages, that happens to me all the time. Hmm. All right. So. So. So yeah, the world's smallest cell phone is 32 by 70 by 10.7 millimeters. Hmm. And weighs only 32 gram. So, yeah. Well, you could swallow that thing. Probably. So, yeah, just the uh, size comparison with that dude there. I mean... My Subway sandwich that I eat pretty much every day is vastly bigger than that. You know, speaking of Subway, there's a lawsuit going on because they're 
Sub foot long is not a foot. Nope. <laughs> and, and, and and all in all, I've actually quit eating at Subway because the bread has gone down quality. Hmm. So, see, the cell phone, I'm not sure if a Pop-Tart would be bigger. A Pop-Tart would be bigger than that. <laughs> I'm, trying to th- I'm trying to think what what is roughly the same size. Yeah, that's about the size of a Pop-Tart. Really? I, I, I eat Pop-Tarts that are bigger than that. What do you eat? <laughs> that looks more like a granola bar. Uh, sort of between it. So, anyway, I uh, hear you have a Kickstarter. I do have another Kickstarter. I yeah. had two of them, but... But so, uh, we'll save that for later. Yep. So, do you, do you like open source? Generally, I do. Good. Let's get drunk and wonder why we don't have jobs. This this Kickstarter is about a bartender open an uh, open source program, so you can program the drink and automatically have it made by a machine. And uh, yeah, this is a essentially a robot that uh, mixes cocktails. Correct. So so now we can get drunk and. Wonder why we don't have jobs. Because of the robot doing it. Well, except none of us uh, are bartenders. And all of us do have jobs. Us two do, yes. (laughs) But, yeah, in this economy, no one has jobs. Yep. Apparently, Raspberry Pi has been out for a year, and it's sold over one million units. Really good. So, uh, happy birthday. I'm sorry, I already ate the brownie. Yeah, oh. Oh, well, I had had seven, eight cookies. (laughs) 150 calories per two cookies. (laughs) So, uh, have you heard about this uh, Firefox operating system? I have not. Um, Um... Thing about school. Well, hang on. Studio. So, um, so apparently Firefox is getting getting hyped up about this mobile stuff. So they're going to be releasing a cell phone operating system. And uh, uh, since apparently I'm the only one on the network who actually uses Firefox on a day to day basis, they want me to say something about it. 
So here it is running on the Raspberry Pi. Nice. So even though this is from like August or so, um, it looks sort of uh, interesting here. So at least it uh, has WebGL on it. Hmm. So, Not bad. So um, I'm expecting uh, certain other people to be covering this extensively on their own podcast uh, because that's probably <laughs> all I'll be mentioning about Firefox OS because this is not the gadget show. <laughs> so. I, I love it how you go out of your way to kind of hide it a little bit. So, well, what if oh. I had one right here? Oh, nice. Yes, I have a oh. Raspberry Pi. Does it have an on and off switch? Um, it has a power cord. Eh, close enough. So, yes, uh, I now have my very own Raspberry Pi uh, Model B with uh, the 512 megs of memory on it. Mm, nice. So, um, uh, let's see, I ordered it uh, Monday of uh, last week on Amazon, and it came on Thursday. Um, unfortunately, uh, mini USB is very different from micro USB, so I had to wait for the, uh, the power cord to come with it too, which was on another shipment. Um, oh. yeah, micro USB and mini USB are not the same. Of course not. So, uh, I, I, I had a phone that had, I want to say micro it was a BlackBerry phone, and I had Micro, and then I had... No, wait. I'm thinking of something completely separate. But, uh, Scratch that. So, uh, yeah, I also ordered a case for it. And uh, a really cheap uh, keyboard and mouse with it as well. Um, so, yeah, I had a 32-gig SD card lying around. And uh, that's what it's using for uh, main storage. So, and, uh, oh, apparent, okay. apparently you can also overclock Raspberry Pis, so that's what I'm doing. Doesn't surprise me that you can do that. So, come on, everybody loves to overclock. Yep, so if you sort of look closely there, I have two copper heat sinks on it. Yep. So, uh, to keep it sort of cool. And, uh, yeah... I uh, have it up and running. My Chrome just crashed. <laughs> awesome. And why do you have it open four times, the show docs? I don't. I only have it open <laughs> once. So. Why does it say otherwise? Yeah, it says uh, uh, four other viewers. <laughs> well, it could actually be four other other viewers. They're all green. Crap. <laughs> but so, no, that's not me. So, uh, yeah. Uh, I'm running a Raspbian, the uh, recommended operating system on this. Um, mm. So, also, word of note, uh, don't get any romantic feelings about a Raspberry Pi, um, because it's slower than YouTube on Fios. It's quite slow. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Aw, uh, he just broke my heart. <laughs> um, and also that, the the USB implementation is rather iffy. Um, so I have uh, my old Logitech Wave keyboard, and uh, I have an old uh, USB hub, and I plug the hub into the Pi and the keyboard into the hub, and. Uh, Apparently, like, the keystrokes were registering kind of funny. Like, it would still repeat the letter even after my finger had left the key. And it would keep on repeating until I typed something else. Hmm. Interesting. And, and uh, if I plugged it directly into the Pi, it'd be fine. So, I'm not sure... I'm pretty sure that's not a power issue because the hub uh, is plugged into an outlet. So, in fact, the way I have it running now is that the Pi is getting power off the hub, and the hub is connected to the Pi. There's, like, two cables running between them. <laughs> that seems redundant. It does, but it works. True. So, uh... Ooh. And thankfully, my cheap keyboard and mouse works with it just fine. Uh, even plugged into the hub. So, um, uh, let's see. I, I finally was able to uh, get, uh, since this is slower than YouTube on Fios, uh, it, you want to use every piece of hardware that you have on this. And this has uh, H.264 uh, decoding acceleration and apparently encoding acceleration too. Um, hmm. Interesting. So I was finally able to get the decode running, and uh, so now I can actually play some video on this. Um, unfortunately, if you want to like watch DVDs and stuff, you need to like pay up for uh, I think a two dollar or so license fee or something. Uh, but uh, I'm kind of cheap right now. <laughs> uh, All right. So. Huh. Yep. So, have you heard about... Well, hold on. My RAM's falling out again. You might want to get that checked out. I need to. <laughs> I am actually going to the doctor tomorrow, so... Oh. Yeah. Anyways. I got, I got some skin issues that I need to get taken care of. Ow. Yeah. Well, it's, it's something that my sister has. I forget what it's exactly called, but my skin is allergic to itself. That's weird. Well, apparently it's common enough that the medication is a cream that only costs $10. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, so, then, ag then again, you are made of defective parts, so it doesn't surprise correct. me. <laughs> All right. So, have you... So, what do you know about writing effective CSS? Uh, uh, plenty. Uh, plenty. I know how to write them efficiently. Uh, That's good, because I don't know how to write CSS to save my life. So, uh, uh, CSS wizardry here uh, has a, uh, how should I say, an article about how to write efficient CSS selectors. Uh so in order to style your stuff, you need to say 
you know, what it styles. And that's what selectors do. And uh, it basically has a, a nine-point list of uh, how selectors perform uh, fastest to slowest. Hmm. So apparently pseudo-classes and pseudo-elements uh, have are the slowest, uh, which is sort of odd to me. Um, I did know that the universal selector, the star, was uh, pretty slow. And uh, also the descendant selector. But, uh, yep. Uh, hmm. Interesting. Yep, and I uh, greatly used that when I uh, uh, wrote the CSS for my blog. <laughs> so you picked the slowest thing possible? Nope. It's actually pretty fast. So, anyways, uh-huh. uh, have you ever heard of a Freelance Tester? Freelance Tester. Give me two minutes and I will. <laughs> well, Why are there no more Freelance Testers out there? My guess is because people are so nitpicky about the code and they don't want other people finding issues. Uh... Not really. Um, it's mostly because testing is uh, sort of the first thing that gets chopped when a company looks to cut its IT budget. That should be the last thing that gets chopped. Yeah, but, I mean... So the support should be the first thing that gets chopped. Exactly. <laughs> but, uh, uh, so, uh, this guy here... Uh, says, uh, there are probably a lot of reasons, but three ones spring to mind. Uh, number one, many projects get by without it. Two, people don't know where to go to find them. Three, as an industry, we have not achieved critical mass. Which, uh, I think the last one might be, uh, the point, because you hear about freelance designers all the time. Hmm. In fact, there is a website specifically dedicated to the stories of freelance freelance designers and how they get totally shafted by clients. <laughs> clients from hell. Mm-hmm. So, uh, let's see. This bug broke uh, uh, last week about the HTML5 storage uh, features. So it seems that uh, every uh, browser has, uh, you know, that has implemented uh, HTML5 uh, has this bug, uh, except for Firefox, which, <laughs> which makes me really happy that I stayed with Firefox. Uh, another so, reason. And so what the bug? So the bug has to do with uh, origin limits. So it's essentially domain-based. So that's uh, only, say, ctnightmare.com can only store, like, five megabytes of stuff on each uh, local client machine. But But if you say www.ctnightmare.com, uh, would have another five megs of space. Blog.ctnightmare.com would get another five uh, megs of space. 
but uh, according to the HTML5 storage uh, spec, uh, that should not be the case. It should just be more of a, like a base-level domain, uh, rather than counting each subdomain as a different origin. Mm -mm. Makes sense. But... Uh, let, uh, <coughs> let me ask you, with a 3-terabyte hard drive, do I really need to worry about this? Uh, there is a malicious site that is, uh, that actually exploit this bug, uh, more or less as a proof of concept. Really? How so? It pretty much uh, varies the subdomains to uh, get another few megs of space. So it just keeps mm. on requesting stuff from all these subdomains and it fills up your drive. So cool. you, you might not need wget anymore. <laughs> so, well, I'm, I'm installing about my sixth software that's supposed to do what it should do, but I'm not getting anywhere. So, uh, yep, so I'm gonna be sticking with Firefox as I lol at Chrome users filling up their drives. Hmm, <laughs> me too. So, uh, speaking- Oh wait, I am a Chrome user. <laughs> <laughs> lol! So, speaking of Chrome, uh, new browser stats have been released. And it seems like uh, Chrome has uh, fallen in the rankings a little bit uh, compared to last month. That doesn't surprise me. And uh, Internet Explorer has the market share 48.3% for Internet Explorer. Mm hmm. You know, as much shit as we give Internet Explorer, it's an all in all good browser. Well, at least IE10 is. I.e. 9 is somewhat. Yeah, and I'll agree with you. It is a useful thing. Uh, can't say the same about any of the others, though. Um, so, let's see. Chrome was down sharply, losing 1.21 percentage points uh, for a total share of 16.27. So... So I'm guessing that uh, this is all due to the HTML5 storage bugs uh, in Chrome that is causing people to stop using Chrome. Um, and they're all going to Internet Explorer, it seems like. Hmm, interesting. So, um, uh, speaking of uh, another Chrome quirk... Um, so, uh, let's see. How should I explain this? Um, this, uh, whenever you have something spinning on a web page, at least in the same layer, it causes the GPU to kick in and causes, like, the whole rest of the web page to become a texture on the GPU, uh, which influences the subpixel anti aliasing. And if you look closely, uh, you can actually see it sort of jerk around a little bit. I, I, I have noticed it a little bit. So, uh, like, especially in Chrome, I tried this, and it seems like one of the, 
like the penultimate paragraph on this jumps around by at least one pixel. Well, my com just crashed again. <laughs> Lol. Norton has blocked an attack. <laughs> well, I think I. No, I think I'm just gonna have to go make my own web downloader. Blocked another attack. And I'm downloading too much junk. Uh, say, didn't you do something like this back in college? Yes, I did do something like this back in college. And I still have the code, I think. Hmm. Uninstall. Well, well, there you go. So, I guess I'm the only one who's looking at the show notes right now, so... Oh, I'm trying to get my Chrome back up, so please give me a moment. Uh, well, meanwhile, I'll tell you about the joke Pirate Bay played. Um, apparently they claim to be uh, hosted from North Korea. Uh-oh. <laughs> so, That's gonna stop the U.S. Yeah, sure. Um, it seems that uh, my birthday came a little early for them. Uh, so uh, they're already joking around. I think they, uh, from another uh, news article I read, it seems that they did this joke back in 2007. Mm. So, and... Uh, like, another analysis of this shows that, uh, like, they spoofed one of their, uh, jumps so that it, uh, advertises a network code from North Korea, but the, uh, routing to and from that network, how it's supposed to be, isn't right. Um, plus, pings to the website indicated that it's somewhere in Europe. Hmm. Okay. Well... It was a little bit clever. So it'd be kind of funny if North Korea actually did invite them. <laughs> but then, hey, we can kill two fish with one stone. Wait, kill two birds with one stone. No, that isn't how it goes at all. Kill two stones with one bird. <laughs> <laughs> or kill 300,000 Britannian with one meteor. <laughs> well, one asteroid. Well, take take your pick. So Aha, remember, on the malicious program. Remember, this isn't the innuendo show. You know, I haven't even seen the innuendo show. Well, you were on it. Oh, that show. Yeah, that show. I, I thought that was eight bit. Yeah, that is the innuendo show. All right. <laughs> And you, you remember the gadget show? Well, my Chrome just crashed again. Yeah, I think I remember the gadget show. Hmm. You should probably do something about that Chrome. Well, you mean besides quit downloading a whole bunch of stuff that I'm not sure what it is? <laughs> so... Well, I, I think I finished getting rid of all the malicious program. So, let me go... Anyways, um, since you so sort of... some some new browser stats have been released. Oh wait, we already did that. This XML is bad. <laughs> <laughs> Could you tell me about that XML? You had 
Oh, goodness. No, I can't tell you what's wrong with it because it looks like something I coded. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, apparently, Posterous uh, shut down and it was a blogging platform or something. And uh, it allowed users to apparently export their data into an RSS feed or something. Uh-huh. And, and uh, it doesn't really declare any namespace uh, for some of these XML elements. Um, plus, there's uh, stuff in C data tags. Ew. Um, plus, uh, some of their template sh- code is showing. Um, so, it seems like they didn't really do any sort of uh, uh, XML-specific API to build this. They just, mm-hmm. they just like, made a JSP or something. Or, just like, a PHP. everything in there. Yeah. Post password. So, anyways, hmm. um, since you hate Linux, um, let's see, I have an article here uh, uh, from uh, Brian Kennedy, and he goes over the first five minutes that he spends on a Linux server uh, trying to tighten up its security. Which one's this? That's uh, the one before the XML. Ah. Uh. Oh, I get okay. So he goes over uh, like I'm making sure the packages are up to date, installing fail to ban, uh, which uh, like monitors the SSH and uh, completely bans an IP address if it tries to log in too much uh, and fails. Um, you know, creating a new user and making sure that that user has restricted permissions and uh, disables uh, password-based SSH uh, in lieu of, uh, let's see, public key cryptography key or something, Um, Mm. and a few other stuff. So um, it's, you know, something that I should be doing as well, so I'll definitely look into that. Interesting. I thought it was going to go about how miserable it was, like like me trying to install Assassin's Creed 3. <laughs> huh. Remember, but, this this is open source we're talking about. Yes, yeah, so... It it looks really interesting. So... C-H-M-O-D 400... Hmm. So, anyways... Um, cool. Do you know anything about compression algorithms? I do know quite a bit about compression algorithms. It's... it's well, not to be a regurgitator, it's an algorithm to help you compress a file. To make it smaller. Yeah. So, uh, do you know what deflate is? Letting the air out of your air mattress? Aside from that. <laughs> I I do not. It it is a compression algorithm. Uh, So, uh, it's been around for years and years, and for the moment, the best uh, library to do this is called uh, Zlib, uh, which uh, compresses the stuff in a fairly reasonable amount of time uh, pretty quickly. 
um, pretty useful for uh, you know sending things over the web. And mm. uh, it seems that someone at Google uh, has uh, created another compression algorithm called Zopfleet, which is uh, quite uh, an improvement over their other uh, uh, algorithms and protocol names in that you could actually conceivably pronounce this. And, hmm, and, and it is written with vowels, unlike that SPDY crap they did. So, anyways, you're wondering, oh, great, Google made another thing that's incompatible. Well, hang on just a second. Zopfly is an implementation of deflate. So you can compress something with this Zopfly, and uh, pretty much any browser would be able to uncompress it. Huh. It is bitstream compatible with gzip, uh, which is uh, like essentially what deflate is called. That's nice. The only downside of this is that it is two to three magnitudes slower. And you're asking, and you're asking Andrew. I don't really know my maths. What is that? That's. <laughs> 100 to 1,000 times slower. So you 100. probably, so you probably huh. wouldn't be able to do this with uh, dynamic content too efficiently unless uh, you have like this huge CPU on a server that no one hardly uses. Um, or you can do it for static content. Hmm. Interesting. So, and Zopfly uh, compresses, uh, compresses a little bit better. Um, let's see, how much better... Let's see... At 8% smaller. So, that's, on the... On that's the, pretty impressive. Yeah, especially on the scale of Google, that's immense. They could... Mm -hmm. An eight percent savings mean that they could probably stuff a few hundred million more users into there. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, do you know who Eric Lippert is? I do know who Eric. Li oh wait, that's Sam Lip. I'm thinking of. Yeah. Uh, All right. No, I do not. But <laughs> apparently, he had been writing a series of articles about. Monads, yeah. specifically in C sharp. Ooh, I like this guy. Yeah, he uh, used to work at Microsoft. Ooh. Up, up until a few months ago, and apparently he was like this programming guru there. Hmm. So. It's, so why did he leave? Uh, I'm not sure. I'd have to dig up the uh, news article about it. I uh, think it might be something like for personal reasons or something, or he got hired somewhere else. Anyways, um, so monads are basically a, a functional programming construct. So instead of like being object oriented, uh, you know, Java, C sharp, C plus plus, and what have you, there are functional oriented programming languages um, like uh, Haskell. Um, like, uh, let's see, what are the other G GVM languages? Uh, like Scala, and, uh, like several others. So, mm. 
basically what I'm getting out of uh, Mr. Lippert's articles here is that a monad uh, wraps another object and sort of extends its functionality without uh, changing what it is. So it's sort of like inheritance, uh, but mm. on like a function level. Interesting. So he, uh, you know, pretty much goes over stuff uh, from C sharp that you know <laughs> that C sharp programmers use. Correct. Apparently, tons of programmers have used Monad pattern entirely by accident, mm -hmm. not really not realizing they're reinventing something that already had the name. Yep. And it well. seems. It seems like uh, monad features uh, feature prominently in C sharp, although they really don't tell you that. Hmm. So, and yes, even though I am a Java guy, I did have some C sharp exposure back in college, like everyone else. Yes, you did. So. Uh, speaking of Eric Lippert, uh, you might know him from an epic answer on Stack Overflow about C++ memory management, or rather the lack of memory management. So uh, this guy posts a uh, code sample uh, calling a function in uh, C++, and he can access this memory variable outside of the function. So he's wondering why can this be, and then uh, Eric Lippert comes uh, and essentially gives an epic, uh, epic analogy involving a book in a hotel room. Ooh, two hundred, two thousand five hundred and eight likes. Yep. Uh, it it might actually be the highest upvoted answer on Stack Overflow. Yep. So you can huh. go, we can you can go ahead and read that later, but uh, it it is a very entertaining read, especially the uh, comments uh, for this. Um, uh, something like uh, "I'll never look at a Gideon's Bible the same way." <laughs> <laughs> and somewhere there's a hotel manager explaining to a programmer. The problem of missing towels using a uh, memory leak analogy. Mm. So, so maybe you don't know Eric Lipper. Uh, maybe you know Vint Surf. He's the uh, guy that invented TCP/IP. I do not know him. Uh, well, I'm, he... I'm not very good with my names. At least I know who Angelina is. Angelina. There's several of those. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to think of her last name. Tomb Raider. Ah. Uh, um, you know about Bill Gates and Steve Jobs? Yes. Uh, Larry Ellison. Who? Larry Ellison. Uh, does it ring a bell? Uh, he's the guide Oracle. Okay. Wait, you don't use Oracle stuff, so... Yep. You are excused. Anyways. Yes! <laughs> Anyways, uh, Vint Cerf uh, says that the internet should not require real names. Uh, 
especially in reference to uh, uh, Google Plus and other uh, social networking's requirements uh, to use your real name on them. You know, they never... How would you even check if they're using your real name anyways? Well, it'd be the obvious ones, like weird capitalization, unpronounceable names. Um, that Dude, I, I worked with some Indian. They have unpronounceable... I... There's only three people at work whose last name I can pronounce. Well... Not foreign names, like actually made up names that you really can't pronounce, like they're all consonants. <laughs> well, and, just, choose, just choose a common one. But, uh, you know, thankfully, you know, not using your real name on the internet is not a crime, uh, at least not where we live. Uh, however, it may get you terminated from these services. So that's unfortunate. Hmm. So. Well, for, for for the first few few years of my life on the internet, I went by the name of Crystal. Really? Yeah. If you look at a lot of my old gaming profiles, it will say Crystal. Hmm. Interesting. Yep. So it was one of the ways I convinced my parents to let me go play online games. <laughs> yeah, because isn't Crystal a girl's name? Yes. <laughs> so, and and all my characters in games were typically females. So, so you got started on that early, didn't you? Pretty much the very first game early. <laughs> So, uh, you know how various things are, uh, considered harmful, right? Yes. So... Like air, like water... I was thinking more like go-to. Oh, you mean go-to one, go-to two? Sort of. Like the, like the, the control structure known as go-to. LOL. Control structure. Wait. <laughs> Wait. Uh, anyways, uh, David McIver uh, says that exceptions for flow control considered acceptable. So, uh, he's uh, making an argument uh, that, you know, exceptions should be considered for flow control. Um, let's see. However... This is a really odd view, but he makes some very convincing arguments. Um, you know, like essentially, he uh, says, like, argument by name. They're called exceptions, so there must be only for exceptional conditions. If I called them kittens, would it suddenly be okay to use them for flow control? <laughs> See. Well, if, um... In, in, in a lot of my own personal coding, very bad practice, but I rely on exceptions to happen. Yeah, uh, exceptions can be good. Uh, let's see, then he has another uh, list here. Uh, argument by meaningless blither. Uh, what distinguishes exceptional conditions from flow control? 
I've reached the end of a million, million element list. This happens once in a million. Sounds pretty exceptional to me. <laughs> well, how many records is he getting in a day? Uh, that's... That isn't mentioned here, but, uh, yep. uh... He goes through, you know, writing exception-safe code is hard. No, it's not. Uh, no, it's, just, just, just try catch the entire thing and... And have it automatically restart, like, the entire first quarter student, maybe, and second quarter students did in school. <laughs> you might accidentally catch the exceptions they're using for flow control with too broad exception handling. Then he said... You mean, like, ca catch exception? Mm-hmm. You know, that's actually the only exception catcher I use is exception... <laughs> well, sometimes you actually need to pick it out, especially from my blog. I actually specify, you know, like catching specific uh, exceptions. Um, he, uh, let's see, puts forth uh, uh, an argument of everyone else. Uh, it's confusing. Well, everything is confusing when you first encounter it. Then you get used to it. Um... Let's see, the problems with using exceptions for flow control are well documented. Well, actually, they're not. Um, so, yeah, let's see. Uh, can you remember that one guy from uh, Newmont? Let's see, you weren't in Virginia. Uh, no. Let's see, he was one of the Linux guys, I think, James? If you remember him? I think so. Well... One of the Linux uh, Java teachers? No. Oh, oh, wait, you said one of the Linux guys. Yeah. Sitting I'm back sorry, with I mean something about Java. Yeah, he was... Uh, see, yeah, one of them was sitting back with me. He was sort of the fat one. The I only think, fat I one think I, he, remember I think he is... might have been from Canada, but anyways... Um, you know, the only fat one I remember is Steve. Hmm. Anyways, um, so oh, well. you remember the uh, algorithms and data structures class? Yes. So, like, um, we split up into, like, three groups or something. Apparently, James got in with the uh, the one taught by Sharon. Oh, yeah. I, I, I was actually in her class. Oh, so, um, apparently she, uh, asserted that having breaks in for loops was bad. Yeah, I believe she did, yes. Like, saying something like it's hard on the compiler. Um, well, if she, it's hard... She, she was weird. Yeah, well, it's... It gets done... And who cares if it's hard on the compiler? The compiler doesn't care. So, nope. James said to get around this, he actually created a Sharon exception. <laughs> Specific I do. I do remember this. Uh, specifically to uh, get around the fact that you know she didn't want breaks inside of for loops or any kind of loop at all. So. Uh, apparently, James will just throw a Sharon exception to uh, perform a break. <laughs> yep. That. Yeah, I do remember that. 
So, uh, yeah. That's what you happen, that's what happens when you eliminate, uh, certain, uh, control structures. So, anyways, uh, since you hate Linux so much, you don't know anything about x.org. X, 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 So I have an exception to get out. <laughs> so what did you say? X what? X.org. X.org. It's essentially the, uh, how Linux draws stuff on screens. Uh, the, okay. uh, like the video subsystem. Um, this was a thing that's been carried over from the 80s from real Unix that was ported, uh, or rather, uh, re-implemented on Linux. And, uh, it's sort of grown long in the tooth. It's been layered over many times. Uh, it's duplicated functionality within itself. It's almost an operating system in and of itself. Uh, but mm. Wayland is, uh, supposed to be its replacement, uh, supposed to just wipe the slate clean and start over. Uh, so, uh, there's a sort of a presentation slash article here that goes over what it's supposed to do. Interesting. Uh, so, uh, let's see, Daniel Stone here, uh, presented this. Uh, he explained the concepts behind Wayland and how it relates to X11, because as he puts it, quote, everything you read on the internet about it is all will be wrong. <laughs> so, uh, I'm, you know, really excited and looking forward to this, uh, you know, actually being a real stable and mature thing. So, you know, there's this sort of myth that it requires OpenGL. Um, but, you know, as far as I've heard, it, uh, you know, is very integrated into, like, a 3D desktop environment. It's supposed to, like, excel at doing that. So, mm. yep. And cool. uh, apparently Ubuntu agrees that uh, X.org is old and busted. Uh, so it's doing its own replacement called Mir. So that's, uh, you know, supposed to be another, uh, replacement for x.org as well. And they, mm. uh, just, just, uh, did a blog post about it. Interesting. Which I have yet to read. Huh. Well. I'm not sure I feel completely comfortable with this next one. <laughs> well, you know how we say that today is International Backup Awareness Day and uh, back up your stuff every day? Yes. Well, apparently this one dude in Baltimore did that uh, and uh, uploaded his uh, kid, uh, kitty porn, actually. So... Uh, uh, apparently Verizon figured this out and uh, reported him. Huh. Interesting. So, yeah, back up your stuff, but don't have kitty porn. Correct. It's bad. Well, I, okay, I'm just curious. How did Verizon find this 
Apparently they had like some software that scans all the images uploaded to their service. And so um apparently service providers are uh asked to do this, but there's nothing requiring them to. Uh huh. however, if they you know, examine the stuff they upload that that they pretty much have to do that. So they're either, uh, like, if they scan for something, they have to scan for kitty porn as well. But if they don't look at it at all, they're totally uh, blameless. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I'll be sure to not back up any of my stuff. I'm just kidding. I don't have anything. So, so I'm pretty sure you. I'm pretty sure you could get creative. So even even though I have FiOS, I'm pretty sure that this would be an extra charge for me. Added just over a year ago with a technology called Photo DNA, which was donated by Microsoft. Yeah. So apparently, mm. Microsoft runs this as well on SkyDrive. <gasps> I'm just kidding. Well, um, Dropbox also does this. There's, there's actually quite a few stuff places that do this. Yeah. Which is surprising mm. that they do, because I'm not sure how this would provide any value for them. Well, there's just some things that are just sick and wrong. True. But apparently, uh, businesses are mo more motivated by money than by anything else. So I'm wondering what kind of stuff. Well, money be, did they get? Yeah, like how do they monetize this? Because otherwise, it just seems like a burden on them. Hmm. So, anyways. Well, as an official. That all we do is follow the law. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, have you heard about the Trans-Pacific Partnership? Ooh, ooh, hold on. But Verizon also acknowledged that the company uses a database of mathematical fingerprints known as images of children generated by the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Hmm. So, interesting. So if you, so, you was, so anyways, uh, have you heard about the Trans-Pacific Partnership? Trans-Pacific Partnership. Uh oh. So this is sort of poised to be the next SOPA. Hmm. So. All right. This is and? A, this is another one of those uh, like international uh, trade treaties. And it also has uh, quite a few provisions for uh, intellectual property. So, uh, let's see, the EFF has uh, quite a few, uh, well, it has this in infographic here. Um, it, you know, two main issues is that, uh, let's see, Hollywood and other lobbyists are pushing for IP restrictions uh, in this, that pretty much uh, uh, export, you know, all the uh, digital restrictions that the U.S. has, but none of the, uh, you know, sort of benefits and uh, loopholes, if you will, 
that is in U.S. copyright law, like uh, fair use and uh, like allowing teachers to use uh, these, you know, copyrighted materials and uh, like the U.S. courts, uh, uh, like U.S. court cases uh, surrounding uh, intellectual property. And uh, mm. number two, the public is totally locked out of the negotiations. Really? Yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure we can change that. Well, maybe. So, I guess we can go ahead and contact our uh, senators and representatives about this. Hmm. Well, I'm pretty sure we can count on Lawsec and Anonymous to help. Yeah, but, I mean, sure they've done a lot of, uh, you know, DOS attacks, but, like, I'm not sure if they've actually overturned, like, any sort of law from taking place. Well, I guess they sort of did in Europe, because some of their uh, representatives in the European Parliament actually had those uh, anonymous masks. Hmm. Okay. But, uh, I'm guess I'm guessing that it might have been those representatives, like, sort of following in the footsteps of Anonymous, not actually, like, being under their, like, actual suggestion or something. Because there actually was a lot of protesting going on. Okay. Hmm. <sighs> So, anyways, um, have you ever hung anything on a window? Yes. Well. Oh, okay. I was, I was thinking of, like, Christmas decorations that you hang up on your window. <laughs> I completely forgot about this one post that I posted. Yeah. Uh, so... Apparently, there are ways to prevent the hanging in Windows application, and ironically, this article came out from Windows. Well, Microsoft wrote this exact article that they can use to implement in the Windows 7, 8, Vista. So, it... it It goes on to talk about why why hanging happens, how it occurs, and mostly due to multi-threading and some best practices like do move resource-intensitive or unbounded algorithms to worker threads, hmm. identify as many blocking function calls as possible, and try to move them to worker threads. Um, make the extra effort to remove all file, I.O., and network AIP calls from your worker threads. These, these functions can block for many seconds, if not minutes. Yeah. So, I'm just reading this here. Mm -hmm. when, it, when an application creates a window on the desktop, or more accurately, a thread creates a window. It enters into an implicit contract with a desktop window manager uh, to process the window messages in a timely fashion. 
So the desktop window manager is the arrow stuff that provides the translucent stuff around your windows. The DWN mm-hmm. post messages uh, into thread-specific message queues. The thread retrieves and dispatches the messages via the queue. If the thread does not service the queue by calling get message, the messages are not processed and the window hangs. It can neither redraw nor accept input from the user. The OS detects this state, that is, Windows detects this state, by attaching a timer to pending messages in the queue. If the message has not been retrieved within five seconds, the desktop window manager declares the window to be hung. You can query this particular window state by the is hung app window API. Sounds sensible. Yep. Well, since we are programming, might as well talk about it. Yep. So yeah, let's let's see how this goes. See how what goes. I um, found uh, I think a site downloader. I'm seeing how well it's functioning hmm. in my test. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> Hope your Chrome doesn't crash again. Eh, I've already downloaded the actual thing, so we'll see. Have you heard of Eugene Heaven? Uh, you mean Unigen Heaven? Uh, yes, sure, I have. Why not? Yes, I have. <laughs> um, the uh, I've heard about it since I don't know 2009 or so, um, and I, I recently heard that it was updated. So I've really and so I you know each time that it comes out I'm like. Chris. Uh-huh, and? Yeah, I didn't say anything there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was busy shutting my door. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I've sort of kept up with the, uh, you know, the Heaven Benchmark series. Um, and, like, each version that comes out, it looks even prettier than the one before it. And, uh... Uh, let's see, I think in the version 2 it added on stuff to the uh, the world a little bit and then 3 I forget exactly what it did, but 4 really changes the lighting model on this it's absolutely sickening how pretty this thing is now really? it's, it, it's bright, oh. it's colorful it's a wonder to behold hmm Cool. So, and I uh, also posted uh, 
I also ran this and posted it on my blog as well. So it's brighter, more colorful, and uh, you know it, it uh, has essentially four rendering engines. It has DirectX 9, 10, 11, and OpenGL renderers, and uh, it takes full advantage of tessellation. Uh, in DirectX 11, and I think it does in OpenGL as well. So this is essentially like the number one demonstration for uh, Unigen Corp's product. Huh. So if you have a, a beefy video card, which I do, and uh, I would consider your video card beefy as well, to uh, go ahead and run this. So is this like a game, or...? It's just a pretty benchmark. Okay. Cause man, I wanna fight a dragon. <laughs> oh wait, Skyrim! <laughs> yep. So there is a, uh, a dragon statue in the middle of this little village in this, uh, demo. And, uh, you're... You can also be free to walk around the world. Uh, you can also, uh, change the time of day which is really awesome because you can see the sun rise and set. Huh, that's cool. And, uh, uh, like, you can, when the sun rises, you can just see the shadows just sweep and all over everything. It's r one of the best things I've ever seen my video card render. Nice. I'll definitely have to look into it. Yep. So, uh, uh, let's see, we'd also appreciate your, uh, your feedback and any of your thoughts, uh, you listeners might have on this podcast, uh, like Ryan did. He sent a lot of stuff. So much stuff! So, just, uh, a few excerpts here. Um, he says that he likes what Firefox is doing with the uh, cookie exclusion. Uh, he said that he thought that the FCC was going to look into cell phone unlocking, um, which, uh, at last I heard that they were, uh, but nothing has effectively happened on the issue. Uh, he wonders if people will string together PS4s like they did with the PS3s and make a super concluding, supercomputing cluster. And I'm thinking that would be kind of pointless, because the PS4 processors are essentially what you can find in a PC. Like, there's hardly anything special about it. Um, so, and even at that, I'm pretty sure that my desktop could run circles around a PS4 right now. Uh, you know, mostly because they're using an AMD CPU, which, you know, as we pretty much all know, are a bit slower than Intel's. Um, let's see, and he also hopes that, uh, the PS4 is flat like the PS2 was, because he says that the PS3 was annoying because it was curved. I, I agree. And, uh, he doesn't really like that DRM, uh, thing, it, it sounds a little fishy, and I agree that it is, you know, with the DRM load times. True. So, he asks, you know, what happens... Uh, in six years, uh, when you try to load it, 
on the same console, you know, the thing would be dusty, uh, hotter, hotter, and suck more, and the disc might be scratched. So, well, I have no idea. That I'm I'm assuming that it might be more of an average score or something. Like you'd hope that uh, Sony would go through their database of load times and uh, compensate that. <laughs> and and he wonders why he doesn't. He wonders why I do not upgrade my Postgres, and uh, that's because I'm pretty much too lazy. Um, and uh, he says that while he was writing this, uh, Java asked me to update twice. So and he. Uh, insists that uh, Java should update in the background like Chrome does, but no, they want you to, you know, do the Ask Toolbar and McAfee. And uh, he wonders uh, why we bleep our competitors. Uh, and, well, I just wanted to, and uh, it turns out that it was hilarious. Awesome. So uh, he uh, mentions uh, on stalking with Google Glass and a ha- camera, he literally had to walk over to his computer to respond. Uh, so there was <laughs> a relatively cute girl on the bus that he saw every day, and he held his phone in such a way that it looked natural, but he used the rear camera to record her sitting there. That was two phones ago, so who knows where the recording is, but hey, you don't need Glass to stalk. That's just creepy. That sounds like something you'd do. No, no, no. I wouldn't take... I wouldn't just take a video recording of her. Come on, you know me better. Well... Actually, it, actually go with her Hi. <laughs> so, uh... And then she run off. So, yeah, Ryan agrees that uh, file systems are in a sad state... Uh, but he uh, plus ones me on noting that it doesn't matter so much uh, because there are protocols instead. Um, so, but, you know, the problem still remains if you're triple booting your computer. I mean, who does that? Except for maybe that one guy. So, <laughs> YouTube! Uh, he was, you know, I was on the bus yesterday on my way home from reverse private tutoring, and I watched a five-minute YouTube hold on, video. Hold on, What's reverse private tutor? I'm not exactly sure what that means, but from what I hear, he's actually... Public? He's, he is uh, tutoring this one uh, woman uh, at school. He's the one actually... Uh, giving the advice. Um, but I'm not exactly sure why he calls it reverse private tutoring. Hey, studio guy, if you're listening, could you clarify that a little bit? Uh, anyways, he uh, was going home and he watched a five-minute-long YouTube video on 4G. Crazy. No buffering, no crap, just video. At home, I can nice. I can never have a video in any reasonable time. It's terrible. Now, can you imagine buffering that four-hour fringe? Um, (laughs) He uh, thinks that I must have been amazing as a kid. Uh, He says that he liked going outside, uh, only came inside in sixth grade because when all this web nonsense started. Well, I think the web nonsense started well before you were in sixth grade. 
Um, and then I had those really nasty rashes that would appear that itched like hell. Uh, mm. Mosquito bites, that is. And yep. uh, Ryan wonders our opinions on uh, test-driven development. Well, uh, interesting, I... interesting that he asks this because uh, uh, just over the weekend on uh, Ars Technica, there was a uh, selected uh, question from Stack Overflow uh, specifically about test-driven development. And uh, this uh, guy says that uh, he's uh, tried doing uh, automated testing at his company, but the problem is that it just sort of gets forgotten. True. It, it, it is something that's very, very hard to do. Yeah. And it just takes a lot of work because you have to go in and update it every single release cycle that you do and it well, just gets well pretty much every time you uh you know change a method or a class or something that you know specifically changes functionality correct so and i sort of have a problem with the whole i well this like how you actually do it so from from what i recall you're supposed to write the test before you actually write what is being tested and that is that is correct. And you write one or the other in such a way that the test fails. Now, correct. I got to stop you right there because when you're actually out, you know, writing code for hire, you're the object of the game is to make it correct the first time. So, whoever came up with that crap he needs to be stabbed, like, really hard. You know, he doesn't need to be stabbed. He needs to be taken out behind the barn and shot. That, too. But... <laughs> stabbing, I, is, stabbing is for vampires, and that's what we do to Edward. Well, I mean, he might be a vampire, too. Because this sucks the logic out of my brain as to why you would write something that fails, especially the first time. <sighs> well, you, well, you're supposed to write the test case so that it fails. And then your code, when you complete it correctly, is supposed to make it work. Or something. But, but personally, I hate the entire thing of doing it that way, though I am all for testing as you're developing yes um you know i'm i've been thinking about uh you know implementing unit tests for my own blog but you know i also use ejbs in a database so there's like sort of a problem in with that uh see then again like i'm not really into the uh unit testing uh mindset i guess uh but I do want to learn Ruby for its killer app. And you might ask, you know, you might go, Oh, he means Ruby on Rails. And I gotta tell you, go back to California, you hipster douchebag. I am not talking about Ruby on Rails. I'm talking <laughs> up, I am talking about water. Uh, 
This is a uh, Ruby on Rails app that essentially uh, starts uh, like any kind of web browser and actually goes through your website and allows you to, uh, you know, essentially write scripts that, you know, fills in uh, text boxes and clicks buttons all from a script so you don't need to keep on doing it over and over manually. So that's definitely something I want to check out. So, and uh, anyways, back to uh, Ryan's list here. He asks, uh, what flashing? What? I don't let your show degenerate into 8-bit. Well, you see, Chris had a light, and he was flashing it towards the uh, webcam. And uh, yeah, I totally forgot that this is not the innuendo show. So hopefully we did better this time, or uh, saved it for the fringe. You'll have to explain the innuendo sh- eh, 8-bit. Uh, what, what, what are they... What, I, I, I don't get to watch it as often as I should, but what do they do that... Uh, I'll have to tell you that in the fringe. Alright. Anyways, uh, Ryan says that our bleep tone is so strange, but it's very mellow. And uh, it's a 600 hertz sine wave. Uh, just pretty much go into you know go into audacity there and you know select the what I want to bleep out and uh, generate a sine wave. Uh, and I'm not sure if that's the Hollywood style bleep or if that's a 1,000 hertz tone. So, and also Ryan, uh, you know on your uh, shows, you know the gadget show and the innuendo show. Uh, the fringes for those. Like, whenever the show happens, you have that dialing thing. I wonder what number is being dialed on that. It would be rather hilarious if the numbers being dialed spelled out the Nexus. You know, now he can actually go try to do that. You know, just this past week, I was searching around for some program that would take a sound of a telephone being dialed and give out the numbers for that. Turns mm. out that I can't find any. <laughs> well, uh, okay. So, he asks if uh, God's code has bugs. Uh, furthermore, he must have used Git. So uh, hmm. he uh, he agrees that the uh, the raft uh, held together by string is an accurate description of PHP. <laughs> so and I haven't used uh, PHP much myself, but I uh, hear, especially from Jeff Atwood, uh, that it's uh, pretty horrible. Uh, he's he actually has written uh, several uh, blog posts on the. Uh, on this topic. Uh, the most recent one, I think, is the uh, PHP Singularity. And, uh, Chris, uh, you somehow sort of inferred that uh, Ruby is the pinnacle of performance. I would not say that it's the pinnacle of performance. Or, or at least Ruby is a nuclear submarine. No, that's just what the site said. 
Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be good, Jotato. Yep. So either you were being sarcastic or thinking about something else. Probably thinking about something else. You know, actually, Ruby was the the um kind of little mini yacht, the speedboat. Hmm. And I forget what was the nuclear submarine. That was C. Yeah. Um, because it said that uh, C was like the absolute pinnacle of performance, uh, but the manuals are probably written in a foreign language. But, yep. But I really don't see the connection there. I mean, I really don't equate submarines with performance. <laughs> <laughs> I consider them more with stealth. So, it, well, it, it it can come around and bite you if you're not careful. I hear that's more the case with C plus plus than C. Maybe so, but at, at this point, I've considered the two to be one and the same because of how old they are. Fair enough. <laughs> uh. See, Ryan says that his Windows 8 computer in the studio is set to go to sleep, but it never does. He should get that fixed. Uh, let's see, he uh, he also has not done his taxes yet, but he doesn't care. Nine dollars isn't much to take back from the government. Maybe his donation will save the economy. And no. I, and I, I would I, take I, back that money. Yeah, um, and I gotta tell you. If $9 fixed the economy, it'd be fixed already. Okay, you know, I was actually talking to one of my my tax prepper, and he said that he he was short on paying the government two cents. <laughs> and, they, and they sent him a bill for $96. What? Yes, that's what he said. He was short on paying the... Government two cents, and they sent him a bill for ninety six dollars. Uh, was this two cents from like twenty years ago? No, last year. Holy crap! They must have had a lot of people like get on that <laughs> in order to charge him like ninety six bucks. I mean, holy crap! I agree. Um, let's see. I. Uh, Ryan says that JavaScript is wonderful and that you're missing out. Uh, uh, I don't know what I'm missing, but then again, I'm not a web developer. I'm a desktop developer. Uh, you're more of a database guy from what you've said. Uh, I, I, I do understand database very well. So database be first, desktop second, web third. You mean web last. No, I mean web third. Well, I mean, it depends on how many kind of development environments that there are. Ev everything else is last. <laughs> could, oh. could, 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 could you got mobile environment? Yeah, I was going to suggest that. You're not exactly an app developer, are you? No, I have not even touched it, to be quite frank. Me neither. I, I don't have a smartphone. So I do. It's three years old, but still works like a charm. <laughs> so, and then uh, Ryan says that he likes this show, and uh, thank you, Ryan. 
uh, he says that he should listen more and that it was fun. Well, I sure hope that it was fun because I don't give anyone a 40 point list unless I was getting something out of it. <laughs> yep. Well, hopefully. I forget what I was going to say. Anyways, um, so if you're listening out there and you have a 40 point list that you'd like to send us, uh, because uh, we'd love to uh, discuss them a little bit, uh, don't be afraid to. Uh, Use the contact function on the nexus.tv. That is without the dash. Um, you can still use the dash for old time's sake if you really want to, though. Uh, and uh, do the contact and do the control. Uh, use the show control structure. So, uh, like I said, today is International Backup Awareness Day, so back up your stuff. Um, but don't have your kitty porn. <laughs> yep. So, hi, Mom. So, mm. anyways, uh, uh, should we tell them? Yes, we should. All right. Uh, well, we'd like to uh, have you uh, listen in next week because we will have someone that's actually sort of famous. Yes, we will. We'll have the somebody from Level Zero Games on our show talking about various stuff. Primarily about the newest game that's coming out, which stay tuned and you'll find out about it. Well, should we at least give them the title? Yeah, I suppose so. The, the, the game's name is Net Game Corporate Espionage. So, it's uh, now on Kickstarter, uh, so go ahead and go by and uh, kick in if you like it. Mm -hmm. So, I should... It has, it has raised $10,000 in the last five days. And it uh, looks like it's on its way to, what is it, 16000 Yep, it needs 16000 to be successful. So, I'm guessing that this might actually uh, be a little bit more successful than that Wild Man thing. Yeah, and Gollum doesn't seem too successful either. They haven't even reached the... Halfway? 10% mark. Oh, wow. Yeah, but they have about 2,000 backers. So, so yeah, even though the, the, this is not the innuendo show, we're still going to be talking about gaming, but that's okay. Because, yep. uh, you know, we're uh, a little bit broad-minded on things. You know, we talk about programming. We talk about control structures. Uh, not just in programming, but, you know, we also talk about government and business issues and, uh, you know, social things. Uh, like, particularly, uh, like, giving money to other people in the form of a game. So... Uh, anyways, uh, what do you got going on, uh, this coming week? Anything special? Um, nope, just working, working, working. Hmm. Well, I should probably get on my taxes at some point. Yes, those might be useful. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, in between that, I'll probably be playing with my Raspberry Pi and, uh, 
playing Civ Five, maybe. That'll be good. So and I hope I, you have a lot of fun with it. And I saw on the Steam Workshop that uh, apparently someone added the Geth to uh, Civ Five. The what? The Geth. You know, from Mass Effect. Oh, awesome! And uh, I, I might have a good reason to go play again. Uh, apparently, the same dude also added the uh, Asari, and he's planning on doing all the races for Mass Effect as well. Okay, in that case, I'm just gonna wait. <laughs> <laughs> dude, it'd be awesome to play as the Turians and Civ. I don't know. I could think of a few races that might be kind of interesting to play. So. Namely, the quarry and then watching him die when they don't have any power to their suit. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. And uh, my mom is probably not going to come over this weekend because I have something going on with church on Saturday. Mm. Um, let's see. Then, uh... See, there's that. And, oh yeah, I need to clean up my apartment again. So... Mm. I'll definitely have fun with that. Uh, un unless Mom threatens to come over again, I'll probably clean my apartment first. Um, hmm. uh, you're, you're, you're a bachelor. Yeah, and uh, I guess she does that just to make me clean up my apartment. Because, like, after I clean up, she's like, Oh, I fell on the dryer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, interesting excuse. Alright, so uh, I guess we'll uh, talk to you next week. Yep. I cannot wait for that. I cannot wait either. I'm so excited. Yeah. Uh, I, should, I, I should go see if I got a reply back from yet. So, Alright, so. Uh, nope, no reply back. Well, hopefully uh, that happens, so. Uh, yep. Have a good week. You too. Have a great week. <laughs>